Hello, welcome to the Home with a Twist podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Austin Weeks. Growing up, pulling on my mother's apron strings, I learned to prepare fabulous food, entertain guests with style, and design a traditional home with a retro twist. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of the Home with a Twist blog, where I share my passion for finding joy in every day. Grab your coffee or iced tea, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three, the week of Halloween 2018. Thanks for tuning in, and I want to tell you that I really appreciate all the positive feedback, the great comments, the subscriptions that everyone is subscribing to my podcast, and I really appreciate that. As a blogger and a new podcaster, positive comments, feedback, and telling your friends is one of the best ways to honor and show your appreciation. So I really, really appreciate that. And I hope you'll keep tuning in and giving me suggestions for things that you want to hear about. I always like to start my podcast with a little bit about me so you can get to know me. I wanted to share with you a blog post that I actually wrote back in June of 2016 on how I came to be named Melissa. I shared what I believe to be the story on my post. Mother wanted to name me Mary Helen Helen was the name of her aunt, my great aunt. We all called her Auntie. Uh, She was bigger than life. She was big in size, but even bigger in personality. And I loved it when she would come to visit from her home in West Texas. She lived in Big Spring. She'd come with fancy luggage filled with colorful clothing and coordinating costume jewelry and always a case of cigarettes. She told the best stories, and whenever she would send my mother a recipe, if it was really good, at the bottom of the recipe, she would write in big letters, damn good. So that was always really fun, and she cursed like a sailor. I loved being around her when I was little, so it was no surprise that mother was sentimental on the choice in naming her newest little baby, but sister would have none of it. Here's my sister's reply on that blog post that day. Miss B, what a nice little story about your name and the reflection on its meaning for you. I am glad you like your name. But Mama, and now this is an interesting side note here, and it's funny that of all of Mother's four children, each one of us called her something different. Sister called her Mama. The boys both called her Mom. And I called her Mother. Okay, so on to the story. Did Mama tell you that you did not have a name for five days? The man who was in charge of filling out the birth certificate went to the hospital room every day for five days, and Mama always said, come back tomorrow. At age 15, I had finally learned how to corral the boys, so I thought a small paperback book with baby names would help us to figure out the best name for you. So I made them sit down at the kitchen table until we settled on a name. I started with A, and it was pretty funny all the comments I received from the boys. They did, however, seem to like the idea of knowing what each name meant or stood for, and by the time we got to the M's, they were really into it. Day five, and still we could not agree on any possibilities. 
We knew that we had to come up with something or you would be named Mary Helen all your life and we could not face that. When we got to Melissa, which means honeybee, we knew we had found the perfect name. And so on the fifth day, when the certificate man came to the hospital room, he wrote, Melissa K. Reeves. It was a good thing. I'm not responsible for K. Mama did that one. I think I did a good job on your name, and you have been our precious little bee ever since. Signed, Sister Lady. Well, thank you for that guest post. I love to hear your comments on my blog. Every blogger does. It affirms that you like what we're dishing out. So thank you, Sister Dear, for your guest post about the hidden meaning behind my name. Mother never shared that story with me. Melissa is Greek for honeybee, and the bee has turned out to be one of my most favorite, besides cats, of God's creatures. Some interesting tidbits on honeybees. Have you ever heard the phrase, busy as a bee? As hive dwellers, bees work repetitively at the same task all day long. When a bee leaves the hive, it may fly as many as 10 miles a day, gathering and forging pollen and nectar to bring back to the hive over and over again. And according to the National Honey Board, a bee may visit more than 2 million flowers to gather enough nectar to make just one pound of honey. So bees are associated with hard work and diligence. A single honeybee worker produces about a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in her lifetime. And for honeybees, there's power in numbers. From spring to fall, the worker must produce about 60 pounds of honey to sustain the entire colony during the winter. And it takes tens of thousands of honeybee workers to get the job done. The queen is very good at delegating this task. Honeybees can fly at speeds of up to 15 miles per hour. Now that might seem fast, but in the bug world, it's actually rather slow. Honeybees are built for short trips from flower to flower, not for long distance travel. Their tiny wings must flap about 12,000 times per minute just to keep their pollen-laden bodies aloft for a flight home. Here's a downer. A typical foraging honeybee will work herself to death in about three weeks. Wow. I'd like to think that my life resembles the characteristics of a honeybee. I'm hardworking, diligent, and I never give up. I am loyal. I flit hither and yon among the flowers because I love to garden and I try to plant host plants for my busy little friends. But I also wonder... Is the bee too busy to stop and enjoy the beauty of the flowers because they're focusing on acquiring the pollen? Are they smelling the roses or just landing on them? I think we can all take our cue from the honeybee to slow down, enjoy the journey that life takes us on, rather than the packing and the to-do list that has to be checked off to leave for that trip. Coming up tips on how to support a grieving friend. I 
was at the doctor this morning for my annual skin cancer screening. All is well, only age spots to report, unfortunately. But as I was filling out the forms to update my medical record, I thought of the times that I took mother to the doctor with me and I would fill out the forms for her. Then it made me think of her and how much I miss her. After the death of our son, John, in 1998, I founded a grief support group at our church to help others in their grief journey as a way to honor my son and thank God for helping me survive my despair over his death. And this support group continues today, 17 years later. I joke that helping people process grief has actually become a hobby for me. If you have a friend that is grieving a loss, sometimes it can be very confusing how to best support them. What do you say or you do? And here are some suggestions. The first one is to recognize that you have no way of knowing how they feel. If you've never lost a child or a spouse or a parent, then you really have no way of knowing what they're experiencing. But if you practice empathy, I am sure that you can imagine their suffering. See, that's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy just says, boy, I really feel sorry for that person. But empathy actually internalizes how that person is feeling, where you can actually imagine their suffering. Something that validates their pain and lets them know you care about them can be as simple as this. I just learned of Bill's death. And I am so very sorry. I know how much you loved him. I can't even imagine how you must be feeling. But please know that I care about you and my heart hurts for you. So let's deconstruct that sentence. First, you use Bill's name. People want to hear their loved one's name. And oftentimes we stop saying their name because we think it will make the person cry or be sad. They cannot be any sadder than they already are. And using their loved one's name, let your friend know that Bill has not been forgotten, that he is still very important. Second, you offered empathy and were real that you have no idea of the pain that they are feeling. And third, you told the person that you will hurt with them and will be there to support them. If saying this to someone is hard for you, then I suggest you write a letter. A handwritten note is something that a lot of people don't do anymore or receive. And it will be something that your friend can look at over time and will actually be something that they can refer to often and help them heal. The second piece of advice is a helpful book. A book that we use in our grief support group and that I recommend to a lot of people is called Getting Grief Right by Dr. Patrick O'Malley. It's an easy book to read and it doesn't require a lot of mental energy that the grieving person doesn't have to spend. It's very hard when you're sad and you're overwhelmed with loss to sit down and read a book, much less a book about grieving. But we do use this book in our grief support group and it's also a good tool for you to use as a friend to help you understand how to be supportive. And the last one is occasional messages, either texts or emails or phone calls to just say, I'm thinking about you. And it could be with the simple question, how has today been? Now, notice I didn't say, how are you feeling today? 
because quite honestly, the answer is always going to be the same. I feel terrible. I'm overwhelmed. I'm sad. And the person's going to think to themselves, well, you don't really know me if you're asking how I'm doing today. But rather, if you turn it around and say, how has today been? That gives the person permission to be really honest. Today's been a hard day. Today's been overwhelming. Today has actually been a pretty good day. Offer to drop off a sandwich for their dinner or ask if there's something that needs to be done that they are feeling overwhelmed with. Examples could be, does the oil need to be changed in the car? Does the car need to be inspected? Can I walk the dog for you? I had a really nice conversation with a friend not too long ago in the produce section of the grocery store. And she had lost her husband several years ago. And I asked her, what was something that you found to be really helpful when you lost your husband? And she said, I was really overwhelmed with all of the remotes for the television. To just sit down and want to watch just a mindless TV show, the simple act of trying to figure out how to turn the television on or work the DVR or the VHS was overwhelming. When she told her friend this, her friend enlisted the help of the Geek Squad, and they came to the house at the friend's expense and walked through all of the remotes, called the ones that weren't necessary anymore, replaced the batteries on the good ones, and wrote out a timeline of exactly which remote to use and which button to push. She said that was so helpful that she could scratch that off her list. Another good idea that's a simple act of kindness is just... Maybe drop off a cupcake, a loaf of pumpkin bread. I have a really good friend when I don't feel well or I'm down. She brings me one of my favorite drinks from Sonic. So those are just a few simple ideas. If you have a suggestion or maybe you're struggling with how to help a friend, email me at homewithatwist at gmail.com and I'll be happy to help you. Coming up next, a fun cocktail recipe for the fall season. And the podcast wouldn't be complete without giving you a cocktail recipe. This recipe is actually a hot punch that is non-alcoholic and is perfect for fall gatherings. Something fun I've done before with this punch is to set up a table outside on my front porch in a large percolator. You know, the kind that you would have at church that has coffee in it. The smell is amazing, and the people will be greeted from their cars with the scent of cinnamon and cloves beckoning them to your front door. They can fix themselves a mug and come inside the house instantly excited to be in your home. So here's the recipe. It is actually from a junior league cookbook the Junior League of Austin. Uh, it's an old cookbook. It's probably, let me look to see what the, the date is. It was published in 1987. So old in terms of what, is that 30, 31 years ago? It's called Necessities and Temptations. And it's called Hot Golden Fall Punch. It serves about 18 to 20. What you do is you, you have four cups of unsweetened pineapple juice which I think is probably not quite one of those large cans of dull pineapple juice you buy in the grocery store in the fruit juice aisle. One 12 ounce can, can of apricot nectar, four cups of apple cider, one cup orange juice, two cinnamon sticks, one quarter teaspoon of salt, 
and one teaspoon of whole cloves. Now you may say, why do I need the salt? You always add salt with something sweet. And just like when something's savory, you add a little bit of sugar. Just helps to enhance all the flavors. You pour all of that into the electric percolator, all the, um, the juices, and you're going to put the cinnamon sticks, the salt, and the whole cloves in the percolator basket. You set the basket down inside, put the lid on, plug it in, and let it perk. Uh, it takes about 10 minutes to let it perk. So if you know you're going to have guests arrive like around 6.30 or 7 for a party, then I probably would start percolating at about 6. And that way when your guests get there, it'll be super hot. It is really delicious and I know you'll enjoy it. While we're on the subject of entertaining, a great source of serving and dishware to use for your holiday gatherings is World Market. I have a dish closet. My friend Elizabeth Jones, who owns Nest and Transfer Transformation, she's a professional organizer, helped me a couple of years ago to take an old closet up in my game room and put shelves in it and a plate rack. And that's where I keep all of my cups, plates, napkins, napkin rings, plates for all occasions and all seasons. I even have a little section for uh, cocktail napkins and paper plates. So when I want to host a party, I can just go straight to that closet where everything is housed, pull everything out that I need. I even have beverage decanters in there, ice buckets, all of my votive candles, my battery operated candles. So literally everything is in one location. I keep a laundry basket in there. And when I know I'm going to host a dinner party for just even maybe even four to six people, I can just go to this closet, put everything in the laundry basket and carry it downstairs to the kitchen. But one of the things I love about World Market is that they have an awesome selection of boxed dishes. For example, they have a set of 12 white dishes that come in a wrought iron rack and they sell it for $24.99. So that's basically $2 a dish. So if you bought two sets, you'd have enough for 24 people. They're perfect because they're white. They'll go with anything. They also have box sets of glassware like champagne flutes, everyday glasses that you could use for iced tea or water. And years ago, I found clear mugs from Garden Ridge, which I don't think Garden Ridge is around anymore. It's been replaced by the store called At Home. You could probably even find clear coffee mugs on Amazon, but they're great for like the hot uh, punch recipe that I gave you, or if you want to set up a hot cocoa bar. When you don't need the dishes or glassware, you just put them all back in their boxes that they came in, and you can store them on the shelf until your next event. Of course, you can use disposable. I'm kind of of the school that I, I think when you have people over, it's nice to actually use um, china instead of disposable. It just kind of elevates it and makes your party feel special. But I understand that sometimes disposable is kind of convenient and it's nice. But also remember that you're having the added expense of purchasing disposable. So I like to either use white or clear glass and it goes with any holiday, season, decor, or color scheme. I will link all of these sources on my show notes on the website, homewithatwist.com. In the search field, you just put in podcast episode three in the search bar and you will have access to this article. Next up, I've got 12 habits of all happy women and a motivational quote. 
I found this article on Pinterest. I'm always searching ways in order to find ways to make myself better every day. And this is a great article from a website called Blyse, B-L-Y-S-E-E.com. And it's in their uh, section under wellness. And it's 12 Habits of All Happy Women. And I'm just going to kind of go through what they said in this article. Good days and bad days come and go, but it's essential to cultivate a balance and long-term happiness that comes from small things and activities. All women share the same habits, and the sooner you start to follow these tips, the happier you will feel. Number one, happy women practice self-care. It's easy to fall into procrastination and put off an appointment with your dentist or your hairstylist because you're too busy. But self-care is crucial to your well-being. Taking care of your body means loving yourself as a person, and it goes way beyond aesthetics. Number two, establishing a routine. A daily routine is the key to finding balance in your life because it reminds you to create space for the things you love. If you don't have a routine yet, then find a moment to write down the things that you would like to accomplish in a day and go from there. Try not to be too ambitious, but find the time to do activities that give you positive energy. For me, it might be finding five minutes to sit outside with a hot cup of coffee every morning before work to just enjoy nature and the start of the day. Number three, happy women are open-minded. They're always open to life and to what it can offer. It's important to have values and principles, but it's also crucial to stay open to change changing your mind and discovering new things because openness and curiosity allow you to grow and evolve. Try to look at the world from a different perspective or find a new hobby. Happy women keep smiling. This was something that mother taught me from a very young age. Every day I would leave the house and she would look at me and say, make sure to smile at someone today because it may be the only smile that they receive. When you walk around, remember that everyone is fighting a battle, big or small. You cannot help everybody, but you can smile to show compassion and support. If you start the day smiling, the world will laugh back. Positive energy attracts positive energy. Happy women are kind. A random act of kindness can mean a lot for the person that receives it. And there are so many things you can do on a daily basis to show compassion to the person you love. And also strangers. You can call a friend that you haven't spoken to in a long time. You can bake some cookies and give them to your neighbors. Or you can volunteer. Number five, happy women express gratitude. We often think about what we do not have. Instead of being thankful for the things we do have and for the love we receive from the people who surround us. Gratitude has the power to reframe the difficult times and show us that we are lucky despite the challenges we face. It is a great habit to remember what you have before going to sleep, from simple things like a warm bed to people who love you. I was with a friend recently and she asked me as we closed the, turned the lights out and closed our eyes to go to bed, what do you think about when you doze off? And I said, you know what I do? I pray. I thank God for the day. 
It may not have been a good day, but I thank him for the fact that he gives me life every day and he gives me the opportunity to start over. And I thank him for the people that I meet. And I ask him to let me have a good night's sleep and to sustain me through the night so I can wake up in the morning. If you go to my blog that I posted on Monday, October 29th, I talk about the importance of imprinting in your brain positive messages. We send ourselves so many negative messages every day. We are our own best critic or worst critic, I guess I should say. That your brain, before you go to sleep, it needs to hear something positive. And if you keep saying positive messages to yourself before you go to sleep at night, eventually your brain will start to believe them and you'll transform your life. Number seven, happy women have a regular exercise routine. Moving your body is essential to your physical health. It helps to strengthen your muscles, but it also helps you relieve stress and brings back the focus to the present. Number eight, happy women have a passion. When we get tired and busy, it is easy to forget the motivation behind our actions, like exercising. In those moments, it is essential to remember why we choose our life path and what our goals are. If you do not like your job and you feel stuck, never forget your true passions and find time for them. Hard work is not enough to succeed in life. Passion is a crucial element to reach your goals. Number nine, happy women spend time alone. A happy woman understands that she needs time alone to get to know herself and her true desires. It is crucial to spend time with yourself, especially when you have to make important decisions. Number 10, they are positive. Life is complicated and it is hard sometimes to stay positive during challenging times. The best weapons against negative thoughts are gratitude, exercise, and focusing on the present. The first activity reminds you of the good things you have. The second releases accumulated stress, and the third one is a state of mind that you learn to cultivate through meditation. Number 11, happy women have accountability. They feel responsible for their actions, and they never blame others for their own mistakes. If you take complete charge of yourself and you're responsible for your actions, you will learn from your mistakes. And number 12, happy women accept their flaws. Perfection does not exist. It's progress over perfection. And last, I want to finish with a quote. I love to collect quotes. I have a Pinterest board full of quotes, and I'll scratch them on a piece of paper or save them in my phone. So I wanted to share one with you that I thought was really captivating. It's from Audra Lord, A-U-D-R-E, and the last name Lord, L-O-R-D-E. I have to believe that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. Caring for myself is an act of survival. I hope this and all the things we've talked about today will carry you into the coming week. And always remember to seek joy in every day. Until next time, my friend, thanks for tuning in. So that's a wrap for this week's chat. I want to thank my sponsor, Jabbo's Ace Hardware. Locally owned and operated, Jabo strives to be the most helpful hardware store in our community. Shop any of their three locations in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I'd love for you to visit my blog, homewithatwist.com, for today's show notes and recent posts. Follow me on social media at Home with a Twist. 
Thanks for listening and remember to celebrate every day.